0: My, we sing some lofty things. I don't know if you thought about it, but just thinking about it, I was letting you minister unto me this morning in song. I didn't minister unto you in song this morning. And I listened. And I thought. And we all said some very deep, beautiful, amazing things. If we would just live up to them. God, help us. Well, good morning to each one this morning. Can we pray? Holy Father, we come again another day before us of Bible school and... Uh, We come with hearts that say, please, Father, would you help? Would you help each of our hearts here today again? Um, So much happening, so many words, a lot of things said, a lot of discussions, a lot of heart sharing, and I thank you, Father, for this week. But I pray for each one of us, especially the young people here in front of me. Oh, Lord, continue to work and move as we... Look at Your Word and we talk about it and we look at our lives and we talk about them and we wrestle with taking Your visions and Your burdens and applying them to our lives and help us, Father, help us. We want to do it right in our generation. So help us, Father. We love You. Would You help me, would You help my um, thoughts and mind and heart you know, Lord, I wrestle sometimes. Um, what I say isn't balanced, and yet sometimes I feel like I can't say it, can't say everything and make it balanced. So, would you help my words and my thoughts and these dear brothers and sisters and friends in front of me? Amen. <clears throat> the illustration I'm going to give you here goes against my theology. And goes against what I feel the Word of God teaches, and I think you'll agree with me. But just let me use this illustration as we begin. If, and maybe this motivates us young men a little more, probably does. But if somehow you knew, this is 2020 Bible school. In 2022 Bible school, you were required to come with a $100,000 check that you had gained, earned, and saved the past two years, or I guess it would be the future two years, but you're coming in 2022 Bible School. And so each one of you would come with that. I'm not sure you'll get the principle over here if this will motivate you quite like it does us, but just think about it. $100,000 check from each one of us. You have two years. Go at it. What would you do? And again, I'm not trying to... This is not a principle from the Word of God. This is an illustration here. What would you do? And you knew this is what I'm supposed to do. Again, I'm not looking at the Scripture, but you knew two years and that's my job. That's what's in front of me and that is what I'm supposed to accomplish. Accomplish and everything else comes subservient to that. Not biblical Christianity, an illustration. I think some people actually live like that. But I think I would walk out of here and my mind would start going, all right, what's next? What am I going to do? And the decisions I would begin making from the time I walked out of here, I would begin saying, all right, how does this count towards that? Okay, maybe for some of you to come with $100,000 is no big deal. Some of us, that's maybe a bigger deal. For me, it would, it would engage my energies, and I'd have to say, all right, I've got to do some changing in life. I have something to accomplish. And I'd walk out and, all right, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Um, I don't think I'll be spending a whole lot of extra money because I'm, I, I need to live. And so I want to live, but take care of my family. But I, I'm going I'm to be careful. And I would begin to live with a purpose. I have to come with $100,000 two years from now. Well, I'm thankful that you and I have a much, much bigger purpose than that. But for some reason, it seems like we get distracted from our purpose so easily. Why? Why don't we walk out of this building with the same vision, purpose, aim, bring everything subservient into what is really our calling? Because it's much greater than $100,000. It's much greater than, than something on this earth. And we all know this. But if you could just ponder that principle, and you ponder it later, what would I do? Not necessarily physically, but how would it affect the way I live my life? And if every one of us would walk out of here today with that mindset, for my sake and the Gospels. And we said, Lord... I see this. I have a purpose. I want to see Your kingdom come with power. And we would take what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, May Thy kingdom come. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Your name to be hallowed. Your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And I walk out of here with that vision, that purpose with my every step. What do you think would change in our lives? $100,000 illustration versus the kingdom of God. I'm thankful that you don't and I don't have that uh, responsibility the next two years. But we have something far greater. And I know, I know as a young person, sometimes the questions come. All right, Lord, what do you have for my life? What do you want me to do? Where do you have service for me, where do you want me to live, who do I live with, who am I going to be serving, all these questions come in the future out there, is kind of a little bit unknown, but it's a little bit exciting. And that's good. That's good. But I think it's God-given. But if what I believe God wants us to pick up is to pick up his call on our lives and what he has for us, and then live all of that vigor with that energy and that purpose in front of us. Sometimes we ask the question, "So why am I alive? Why do I get up this morning? What is my purpose? <clears throat> what am I supposed to accomplish in life? What am I supposed to accomplish today?" And these questions churn. Is my life worth much? What's it worth? What's my life worth? What am I supposed to do with it? And I'd like to share this morning. Here's the title for you. Lost for Christ and the Gospel. Lost! Counting all but lost because I have a goal for Christ and the Gospel. Just turn. Let's just read that. Mark chapter 8. And look at that context again. In light of our scripture here this week and our little chart here, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, chapter 8, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. If you seek to save it for yourself, you're going to lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for lost for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. <clears throat> I love the energy and vigor And climb and earnest pushing that comes with seeking first His kingdom. And seeking to live for His sake, for my Lord and the gospel of the kingdom that He preached to us. I love living for that. And it's hard work for me sometimes. It's hard work. In my own heart, wrestling with my own motives in my own life and relationships with people and purity and walking in purity and sharing truth and presenting truth, it's hard work. I frequently come home from a week of Bible school and my wife knows this and I get a little bit sick. Um, And I think some of that is I'm not very old or wise or whatever, but this is work for me as i wrestle in my own heart god how do i share and be a blessing to these young people it's work if you don't think it is try it sometime i hope you get to someday but i love it i love the strain as i wrestle god oh maybe my heart's wrong in this maybe it's not right here what what should i say that'll be a blessing What's going to give a wrong impression? What's going to give a right impression? And sometimes I don't know and I do my best and I'm thankful that others and godly men and all that will help because I know I'm imbalanced. But I love the wrestle. We each have things that motivate us, and that's what I would like to just share with us just a little bit. What are our motivations as we look at the losing path and we talk practically, what does it mean to have a savor and to savor the things of God and to follow the denial path and taking up my cross and following Christ as we wrestle with that? But I want to just talk this morning and somehow maybe possibly paint a vision in front of you. I'm going to give you four little snapshots and we'll see what all I get through. I have more than we'll get through here probably today. Um, but, give you some snapshots, as I live my life, I am motivated by visions in front of me: by where am I really going? what is my one hundred thousand dollars that i 'm aiming for, and as I view those things then we 'll come back and we 'll look practically what does that mean and how do I begin walking there? But if I could somehow just lift up the beauty of this path, there are two ways, and I appreciated that comment the Anabaptists standing there in their forests and singing this song. This was no small deal. But young people, it's no small deal today either. And I know we don't expect... I'm repeating myself, but I'm going to say it real quick. I know we don't expect someone to walk in with a gun and hold it and say whatever they say in other pressured countries and persecute We don't expect that. We don't expect the stony soil pressure, really. But the thorny is just as dangerous. And it takes a fight and an earnestness. I got distracted. What is our motivations? What are our motivations? What drives us? Flip with me just to a few scriptures. What was our Lord Jesus motivated by? John chapter 5. I'm just going to slip to a, a couple of scriptures as we ponder this. What did He live for? For my sake and the gospel, our Lord Jesus came, and He came preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And so in verse 30, I can, he says, of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. And so I picture my Lord as he gets up in the morning as he got up and he was fully um, a man and he wrestled with some of the things we wrestled. The question on his mind as he went into his day was, Father, how do I do your will? I don't know what age it began dawning on him. Sometimes I wonder what age did it begin dawning on this young man of what he came to accomplish. I don't know. Twelve years old, he had some purpose. And so here he was, and he, didn't, he wasn't out playing the, the uh, games with his other friends, and he wasn't walking along, kicking the balls or, or playing his, his volleyball or whatever it was. He sat in there, and I, again, I, <laughs> I say that a little bit seriously and a little bit to make a point. Whatever. Whatever. I'll give you wisdom in those things. But he sat there with the teachers of the law and he was asking them questions and he sat at their feet and he said, what about this? And what about this? And he would share truth. I must be about my father's business. Father, what is your will for me to accomplish today? And he went about his life, a very purposeful life, day by day by day. Matthew 12 Verse 50. <clears throat> Whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother, my sister, and my mother. Whosoever will do my will. People were saying, Here, your mother has something to say to you. And he asked, who is my bro- mother and who are my brethren? My, the ones close to me are those who will do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Because his heart was to do the will of his Father which is in heaven, and so he wanted, so we are to be of the same mind. What is the will of my Father which is in heaven? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But those that are following my heart are doing the will of my Father, which is in heaven. <clears throat> I want us just to do a quick little... Um, we'll see how, how quick we can do it here. A quick little biographical sketch. Of Epaphras, so if you will will join me in this little quick, we're going to jump around a little bit. Open to Colossians chapter one. If we can just do a, a small little glimpse at Epaphras, I believe Epaphras is an example. The little pictures we get is an example of living for my sake and the Gospels for Christ and the Gospel. And so if just I, I just like biography. I love to go through the Word and pull out as much many points as I can to try to get a picture of who people were and what were their strengths and what can we learn from them. And so I feel like Epaphras gives us a picture of someone who lived for Christ and the Gospel in a very earnest way. Colossians chapter 1, we have just a few verses about him. I think there are actually only five verses about Epaphras. But they're kind of some very packed verses. Colossians chapter 1 in verse 6. Which is coming to you, this hope and the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, we're just jumping you here in the middle, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye have learned of Epiphras our dear fellow servants. So first we have Epaphras shared the grace of God in truth. So here we have Epaphras, grace of God in truth. Epaphras was a man who when he came and began to share, the Apostle Paul said, Epaphras shares the grace of God and he does it in truth. He obviously, for for you to be able to share the grace of God in truth, you have to have experienced it. So I'm going to say that Epaphras had experienced the grace of God in truth and he was able to articulate it and share it with the Colossians. The Apostle Paul says, as ye have learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. And so we also see that the Colossians learned... From Epaphras. Epaphras was an example, the way he lived, the way he taught, what he taught. He was a, a man that was connected with the Apostle Paul here, and when he taught, people learned from Epaphras. <clears throat> he was able to communicate those things. Goes on in verse uh, on down, and it says, "Our dear fellow servant." He was dear. He was beloved. And he was a man that the Apostle Paul would say dear about. And then he also calls him a fellow servant. A fellow laborer. Someone who's with me in the labor. Someone who labors with me. Just ponder these things. He called him a servant. Someone who served And he wasn't concerned about me, but he was a fellow servant who is for you. Just just meditate on these words here. For you, he was for them. He did something for the Colossians. He wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for the Colossians. For you, a faithful minister. He was faithful, and he was a minister. Who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. And so this man had lived with the Colossians. Now he came back with the Apostle Paul, and he shared back with the Apostle Paul and us, who all the us was, and declared unto them. And so he had words of blessing about the Colossians. And he came back and he declared unto them the love that, that the Colossians had in the Spirit. And so this man went, came back, and declared <coughs> the love that he had. Jump over to Colossians 4. Colossians 4, verse 12, Epaphras. We're just getting another little snapshot into him. Epaphras, who is one of you. So here we have, I didn't think ahead enough, did I? Ten. One of you. He was one with them. He wasn't an oddball. He wasn't set apart. He was one with them. And he was with the Colossians there. who is one of you a servant. We already put that up here, but he said that again. Who is a servant of Christ, saluteth you always. And I think we see love flowing out of there. Saluteth you always, laboring fervently. And so here he is, and he's laboring, and he's not doing it half-heartedly. He's laboring fervently. Laboring fervently for you in prayer. And so he's praying. Praying for others, for those around him. And so in his laboring, one of the things that he labors for is praying for you. Verse 12, laboring for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. And he longed, and and I'm, I'm going to let you carry on here. You can continue to break this down. To stand complete and perfect in the will of God. He was a man who prayed and who cared about others and wanted others to stand complete in the will of God. Um, One more verse, go to Philemon. Just a little book there. And I do this partly just to encourage you, dig into someone's life and see what you can learn from them. But here I believe we have an example of someone who labored earnestly... And fervently, and we get little glimpses of a faithful, someone who faithfully served for Christ and the gospel. Philemon, uh, verse twenty-three. There, salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner. Epaphras was a fellow prisoner with the Apostle Paul in Christ Jesus, and so just give that little snapshot. Here is a man, I don't think you will have a list like this probably said about you if you half-heartedly go through your Christian life without a vision and an aim and a goal. But it was said of Epaphras, he, was, he, had the, he, he shared the grace of God in truth. And if he shares the grace of God in truth, I'm going to say that he lived the grace of God in truth. And people learned from his example. He was an example to the believers. And the Apostle Paul called him dear. Fellow, servant for you, a faithful minister. And he gave words of blessing about others. And he was one of them. And he saluted them. The always is a principle there too. There's it always on his heart he carried them. He labored, labored fervently. He was prayer and he, was, he prayed and he was a fellow prisoner. As I think of Epiphras, I think of a man who I don't know very much about, but he lived for Christ And the gospel, as he lived his life, that's what he lived for. And it feels to me like he had a a burden that drove him and motivated him to follow Jesus. I'm going to give just four little snapshots. Four different snapshots that come from uh, my life, that come from things that I have lived or things that I have seen, because I want to somehow lift up a vision and an excitement and the beauty of a life that is consumed with living for Christ and the Gospel. and So I'm just going to give you four snapshots, and I give a disclaimer. It's not balanced. I'm sorry I I use myself and illustrations a lot here, but it's just some of the things I know. So, number one, in these four snapshots... I would, like to, I would like to just ponder a little bit about the need for Jesus and the Gospel in the foreign field. Just ponder with me. I wish sometimes I could take, with, take you on a little bike ride into a village in Africa. And I happened to travel to this village um, and was here in this village on a market day. And I'm walking up and down the aisles there looking at all the things that are for sale, and a man walks up to me and he says, Teacher, would you please come to our village? Well, what, what are you looking for? What do you want? Oh, he said, Teacher, would you come and teach the Word of God in our village? I know you've gone to this place and that place, but would you come teach the Word of God in our village? I said, well, I will check with um, the one who was over me. I was in Ghana. And I said, I'll I'll check. I'll share with him your request, and we'll see. And it went a few, maybe even months, a couple months before I was able to get there. But I hopped on my bike one afternoon, and I was headed toward this village. And I, sorry, I forget the name of the village. And I'm biking out to this village, and it gets dark. You usually, we usually went in the afternoon after they were done in the fields, and they were coming in from the fields, and we'd have the opportunity to share with them. And I got there and sat down in their resting place and sat and waited a while. So people started, um, people were around and, and they began fixing a, a meal and we sat and ate. And then until it was about what I would consider bedtime, people started gathering and we started singing a bit. Then they said, okay, teacher, stand up and teach us. So I stood up and I began and I, I shared some basic principles and looked at some of Jesus' teachings. I think I might have given a parable that night and brought that parable and, and, and brought the teaching there. And I was closing down and one of them said, Teacher, you're not done yet, are you? No, keep going. I said, okay. So I, don't, I don't actually remember what I did if I went on to another parable or what for sure I did. But I went, carried on a little bit and continued on and then sat down and after a while, as soon as I sat down, they started asking questions. Question after question after question. And I lay in, as after, after everyone had gone home, and I lay in bed that night, in bed, on the floor, on the ground, on a mat. And I lay there and, and just pondered, here I am, in the middle of nowhere, but I'm sharing some truth with people that for the first time, they're hearing and beginning to comprehend Truth. If you haven't done that, there's something of a thrill in your heart as you realize you had the opportunity to share truth with someone who doesn't know it. And you get to share the beginning, to share the glorious gospel of the kingdom of God. And so for Christ and the gospels, it's thrilling. Well, sure, there's some denying, there's some taking up your cross and... I'm not going to go down through some of those things. I'm going to share with you the thrill and the opportunity to get to share the truth and have people ask those questions and see lights beginning to dawn in the hearts of people as they realize Jesus and the Gospel a little bit. And to get to be someone that carries that is worth a whole lot more than $100,000. In the first illustration I used, I wish you could have traveled with my brother Jason as he hopped on his little motorbike in the island of Zanzibar. And it's also getting dark. About Yeah, it would have been about dark. And he hops on his motorbike and he goes down the road. You go up the road. You go north a little bit and you turn off of a paved road and you start bouncing along down a little path off to your left. And you have to look just right for a path that veers off to the right off of that and You bump along, go through a fairly deep ditch there. And you pull up, and you see this little hut, and it's all dark. No electricity back there. And you pull up, and out of the darkness, and you turn off your light and your little motorbike, and out of the darkness, you hear greetings. Welcome. Good evening. How are you? And these these greetings come out of the darkness. But you know what's going on. You hop off your motorbike and walk over, and you see silhouettes of people sitting around on a mat. And they're finishing their evening meal. You sit down there with them. They offer you some food. And my, again, my dear brother Jason did this many times. Once a week for a while. They finish up their meal. Clean off the mat. Sweep it. Clean up. Sit back down. Sit down with their Bibles. And there's possibly just a small little lamp or something in the middle. Or some dim flashlights. Unless the white man happens to bring one that's really bright. So they can see his Bible, and you sit down and you begin to share and he was going through some teachings, and um, there was a time when he was going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and he was teaching these things, and he begins to re- i don 't know when he realized it for sure, but this man was living with a lady he had been married before, and now he 's living with a lady and he 's going through these teachings and She pipes up. Well, maybe it wasn't actually in the setting. I forget when all the comments came. But she says, "Um, I shouldn't be living with you. I mean, I'm not your wife. And the teaching continues to come. I don't know for sure how he responded, but the time came when he realized, oh, she's not my wife. And they began to wrestle with that. She actually rose up and didn't want Uh, anything to do with it and actually turned against us. He faithfully looked at the Word of God and said, I want to follow that. And he began taking steps and trying to figure out how to bless this lady he was living with, communicating with her parents and wanting to send her back there. And it's a complex, difficult situation and people weren't happy. And then his his own family gets upset at him and there begins to be wrestles there and he faithfully plods on. Because... My dear brother Jason hopped on his bike and began sharing truth evening after evening after evening. And he shared the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And that dear brother is still faithfully loving God and living, seeking to live it out. I appreciate him to this day. I'm thankful for him. Why? Because someone was faithful to take the losing path and live for Jesus' sake and the gospel. The needs are almost impossible to say. Hop on a bike with me and go to a village that was called Manda A. There was Manda A, Manda B, and Manda C. They were all Manda, but they kind of were divided a bit. And you're, you're, you're riding with me to a man's house who I met when he came to me with a finger. I, I wish I would have remembered how big it was, but it was so big, it was beginning to burst with infection. And he came asking, you know, could you help me? This, this finger is huge. And it was beginning to burst and the skin was splitting open. And so we talk and ask him, well, what happened? Well, he was in a fight with his wife and his wife bit his finger. After they left that day, I think I turned to my wife and said, thank you for not biting my fingers. (laughs) All swollen up and we began to help him. But in the opportunity to help him, we began to share some truth. And so after some time, he actually ended up going out to the hospital. I told him, we can't help you here. You need some more help than we're able to give. He did get uh, get the infection taken care of and didn't lose his finger. But I got to bike there a few times and, and meet him and sit down in his little hut. He had a little mud hut, grass roof over our heads, and we would sit down to get out of the sun a little bit. And I would begin to share truth to a man who didn't know truth, and he didn't know the gospel that Jesus brought to earth. And I got to begin to share with this man the truth of the gospel. It's, their lives are a mess. But the Gospel of Jesus Christ brings it out. Sit with me across from someone in our school where we taught English. And have this young man begin to rail on you. I begin to share just a little bit of truth with him. And he called on to what I was doing and he jumped on it and stood up and started calling me some terrible things. And then he would pose a question at me with fire in his eyes, and so I tried to answer. I would get just a few words into my answer, and he would start up his tirade again, pouring forth all sorts of terrible things on me. and And he, it's in a very Muslim setting, and he was strongly Muslim, and telling me how awful I was and how wrong I was, and how I, I don't remember all that he said. And so he would ask a question, and I started prayerfully try to answer it. Few words into it back again he was and I started realizing okay I'm not getting anywhere so I just sat silently and he would ask a question and I just sat silently after a while he said why aren't you answering me so I told him well when I do then you start in and so he started in again and he was going and I find I didn't know what to do I started praying and I, I prayed in, in his language and he backed up and he got this almost fear on his face and he starts quoting the Quran to me and so I just prayed, and I prayed out loud, quietly. But he stopped, he listened a little, and then he starts quoting the Koran. And here we are, and I'm praying to my father, and he's quoting his Koran. <clears throat> he's a young man who needs the gospel of the kingdom. And he needs to see it lived out. And yes, we had the opportunity. There was one, one man there who looked at me and said, I like your faith. I wish I had that kind of faith. I've watched you for however long it's been, a few years, and I've watched your life, and I like your faith, but I don't have that kind of faith. Well, I told totally him, listen, and, and obviously begin to share the truth. Maybe you should join uh, Tim and Cheryl, I and mean, if you know them, and maybe some of you have heard the story of Jeanette, this Poor young lady who got kicked out of home by her father at 15 years old, out on the streets. She was desperate. Goes to the witch doctor. What do I do? She says, well, if you have, uh, pursue relationships with men, and the 12th one will marry you. And so she tried it, and the 12th one kicks her out. And she's devastated. And she finds herself in a puddle on the, on the street, um, a mess. And a Muslim lady actually comes along, and takes her in and helps her. And, I, and forgive me if I'm getting some of the details wrong here. Some of you know it better than I do. A young lady whose life is a wreck. And now she's having a baby. And she does and finally says, Okay, I, again, I forget if I get my details wrong. But this Muslim lady decided that she should be the wife of her something. Some Muslim. And so she arranged this marriage and forces her into it. And, and soon he kicks her out. Just a mess. And she has this baby and she's pleading with someone. I forget the situation for sure, but would you please take my baby? I just want to die. Someone gets a hold of it, of her, contacts Tim and Cheryl. She ends up living with Tim and Cheryl for a while. And they begin to share truth. And it was a difficult existence for a while. She's self centered, a mess. And for her to live in one of the rooms was difficult. They began, they continued. She saw family devotions. She saw. She began hearing truth as they shared with her. And, and truth began coming to her eye, uh, to her life. And one day she, again, forgive me if I don't have the details all right, but she didn't show up um, down with the family. And so they, Cheryl went up to check on her. And she found her in her room, kneeling, just weeping. She tiptoed back out and left her alone. A while later, she still hadn't shown up. She went upstairs and found her weeping again, so she took some food, set it there, and just left again. I think it was almost all day she was up there just weeping. They sat down to talk with her, asked her, "Would you like to talk yes she 'd like to talk and Tim just said eh. she just she just went through it just perfectly all by herself she said i 'm a mess, and she wanted to pray, and she just started dumping out her sin and her mess. She took it on herself she She had. There was some spiritual involvement, and she was crying out for deliverance and freedom, for forgiveness with the people that had wronged her. And yet she took it on herself. And I don't know how much longer later, as she's weeping there, she comes up with a clear face, forgiven, set free, and now she's on a journey. She needs help in her journey. She just started. She's not done. She just began. But she's beginning to understand the gospel of the kingdom the uh, for Christ and the gospel. Lost! Young people, this is what we get to live for, to help lives come from darkness to light and walk faithfully and true. This is the calling on our lives. Forgive me for this poem that's almost... I don't know, it feels a little... The way it does. But it stirs in me and I, it goes like this. How do you take it easy when His fire burns within? How do you take it easy in a world that's crushed by sin? How do you take it easy with a thousand tribes to tell? How do you take it easy in a world that speeds to hell? How do you take it easy while the church sleeps at its lees? How do you take it easy? Will someone tell me, please? It burns. Young people, put that burning in your heart. I want to be a part of this glorious cause, losing my life for my Lord Jesus and the gospel. Uh, snapshot number two. <clears throat> I'm going to skip that. Um, yeah, sure. Snapshot number two: <clears throat> The need for Jesus in the gospel and the gospel in rural America. And that's where I get to be right now in Vermont. And I wish you could have sat with me as I sat with my dear brother Chad and his wife in an upstairs room with a young couple as they had just told, they had just said, we just read about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And he presented that question to us. He and his little family had began to know the Verkler some years ago, and they began on a search for truth, for what's right. What does God say? Well, we learned that this isn't either one of them's first wife or first husband. And we had to sit and have, uh, have an excruciating evening. He says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And we sit there and we begin to share and share truth. And we turn, what does Jesus say? And they look back at us with tears and say, "I can't deny what he said, but surely there's some way around this. Till today, they're still wrestling." He came just last week and talked with Brother Chad and about the word, and they just kind of laid the word aside, but he's convicted, and he needs to pick it up, and there's churnings happening. Christ and the gospel is being presented to him, and he's wrestling. But you and I are a link in this chain of God bringing his kingdom into the lives and people on planet Earth. And you get to be a part of that. And you want to make $100,000? Come on. Or maybe you should join me in my basement on Thursday evening as one of my neighbors, a 60, uh, I don't know what, seven year old neighbor comes and joins me and we begin having Bible studies and he is just a hungry soul for relationship and love and care and just loves our family to pieces and every opportunity. He's very respectful, not being there too much, but any opportunity he can have, he'll find a reason to be over there. Thursday evenings he comes over and we begin studying and we begin looking at the Bible and Adam and... uh, Who was that he said? I I don't remember what you said. Eve. Oh, yeah, yeah. Moses, um... I'm not sure if I've heard of him before or not. And I sat there realizing in rural Vermont, I'm sharing the Gospel with a very untaught, unreached 67-year-old man. And it's wonderful! It's very basic. And we have started with some very basics, but we just went through the parable of the sower. We went through that parable just the other day. And... He said, I know people in there, and you know what? That's kinda like me. I know people in that soil, that's kinda like me too. I know people in that soil, and that's kinda like me too. And he just we just went down through them. He said, Mick, I believe a lot more than I used to, but not yet. I said, That's fine. You keep coming. I'm praying you'll believe. We're praying for you, and we just continue to talk. I get to present the glorious gospel to him. The needs of Jesus in rural America. <clears throat> and I, I could keep sharing stories. I'm just going to quit on some of those. Um, number three, snapshot. I'll, I'll do three. I skipped one here. But number three the need for Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom. In our churches. Years ago as a young man. 5 a.m. There was a tap on my door. And I was prepared for it. It was 5 a.m. Tap on the door. Young man walks in. Goes down on the floor. It's a little bit dim. Because my brothers were in the room. Just right beside that. Two younger brothers. And I was still living at home. And we got down on on the floor. And we shared hearts a little bit. And he was a young man who was wrestling. I said, well, should we meet once a week? And could I be a blessing? And so he comes and taps on the door. We sit down, we talk, and we pray together. And we seek to build one another up and bless one another and try. Why? Because he needs to understand the depths of, for Christ and the Gospel. And I wanted if some way I could be a blessing to be a blessing to him. I've heard of some of you meeting together in groups and you're seeking to do the same. We need to build each other up. The need of Jesus and the Gospel of the Kingdom. We must help each other. And I'll share about this more tomorrow. But we must... Uh, I'm going to skip some of those things and I'm going to go to some... I think I have eight... Practical little things. Young people, I just share those snapshots. Just to see, just to help burn in your heart the opportunities and the needs that are so far beyond making $100,000. Could you pick up the burden and say, Lord, would You allow me and my life to count For you and your gospel's sake. Could I lose my life for that? And could you pick up a vision and say, Yes, God, that is what I want to live for. And begin putting everything in life in place in light of losing for Christ and the gospel. And it is exciting. Will it take denying? Yes. Will there be crosses? Absolutely. Will you... And by all means, we follow Jesus. Will there be suffering and will there be difficulties? Yes, but the goal is for Christ and his kingdom, and that is the call on our lives. Lost for Christ and the gospel. So, what does that mean to you? What's that mean to me in my everyday life? I wanted to lift up some of that vision of an Epiphras, poured out life of opportunities here and there and across the world, wherever it is. God is looking for the man. I, the verse, few verses burned in my heart. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show Himself strong. Lord, remember that stirring in my heart as a young person. Lord, You're looking. I'm trying to raise my hand the best I know how and offer. Here I am. But what does that mean to you? Now this afternoon, next week, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, number one, some practical things. What does that mean to me now? Serve in little ways with all your heart. Grab every little opportunity of service and do it with all your heart. I remember as these things began being lifted to me and my heart began to burn. Lord, how can I serve? How can I bless? Well, I want to, I, you know, you want to do all that you possibly can. It's been a prayer of mine for years and I, maybe it's not balanced. I'm still wrestling with it maybe today. Lord, would you help me to be all that I can possibly be for you and your kingdom? has been a prayer. And I remember as a 15, 16-year-old young man, we met in the Oddfellows Lodge, a rented place out in Idaho. And I wanted to serve God, and so I wanted, and I realized, you know, one thing I can do? I can mop this floor after we're done eating. And I mop that floor with earnestness as unto Jesus. And I like to mop the floor because, Lord, I don't know what I can do to serve you. And so I began mopping that floor. A little thing? Yes! but grab all the little things you can in your life he that is faithful in least will be faithful in much luke 16:10 grab the mops in your life and mop young people and do it as unto jesus for christ and his gospel do it like that it was said of elisha that he poured water on the hands of elijah oh you mean that man who poured water on the ha- yeah that man he was a servant In everyday little things. Serve. Give. I know this prayer. And I'm going to guess many of you do too. And the prayer is this. Father, where shall I work today? And my love flowed warm and free. Then He pointed me out a tiny spot and said, tend that for me. I answered quickly, oh no, not that. Why, no one would ever see. No matter how well my work was done, not that little place for me. And the word he spoke, it was not stern. He answered me tenderly. Ah, little one, search that heart of thine. Art thou working for them or me? Hast thou not seen how I did work and when and where I'd be? Oh, follow my example, child. Hast thou no thought of me? Nazareth was a little place and so was Galilee. Grab those little things and serve. Number two. Sanctify the mundane by doing it unto Jesus. Sanctify the mundane. Life has a lot of mundanes. But if I go through my life and through the mundanes, the same old, same olds of life, and I do it for You, Lord, I want to lose my life and I get to do it today in this little way, and I'm going to do it as unto Jesus. I think it may be that God measures our life more by how we live in everyday life than by mountaintop experiences of service or giving. Don't you think? How we live in everyday mundane life much more than mountaintop experiences of service or blessing. How are we being faithful in the mundane? Whatever the circumstances I'm in. Difficult, easy, big, little. I'm here to be a servant of Jesus Christ. To lose my life for Jesus, for Christ and the Gospel. Number three, learn to pray. You know, I I want to do, as I shared with you, all that I possibly can for my Lord. But I wonder sometimes if our prayer life doesn't really show how much we really want to. It's a little bit of a quote that I think my father actually sent to me yesterday. He said, uh, it was the quote said, uh, one of the the good things that will come out of Twitter and Facebook is that it will prove that our prayerlessness was not for lack of time. I think sometimes our prayerlessness, or whether we pray, or whether we know how to intercede, might show really how earnest we are to lose our lives for Christ and the Gospels. Because we don't get any earthly reward out of that one, as far as from people and from, you know, the, what. But when I'm willing to get on my knees and find a little corner, say, God, it doesn't seem like. Maybe it doesn't seem like I have a lot that I can serve you in. I can do this. And you find a corner and get on your knees and begin to pray. I felt like God has given us just a couple of glimpses just the past few months that when we get earnest and we pray and we fast and we seek God, God hears. The answers don't always come like we expected. But He does! And my brother just, one of our prayer meetings the other morning, shared another one. Got serious about something, some fasting and prayer, and something happened. He didn't think about that. He wasn't praying for that particular thing to happen, but things happen as we pray and seek God. Young people, learn to do that. Learn to pray. Even, here's a little thing. You can learn to fast a little from sleep. And I need sleep. We all do. But there was a while in my life, there were some burdens on my heart, and I set up my little watch to beat for twelve o'clock AM. Twelve o'clock there's this beep, beep, beep. And maybe this isn't for you, please. This is nothing biblical. It's just one tiny little application. And I'm I'm not doing it now. But for a while, and at twelve AM, my alarm goes off and I woke up. Well, that's right. I turn it off. I get on my knees. Just a few minutes. Sure, I'm sleepy. I'm going to fall back to sleep. I'm not going to condemn myself. But I'm going to pray for a few minutes here and say, God, there's an issue here that I'm going to lift to you every night. Uh, Just a small little application. Look for ways to pray. And then thank God as He works in you and in others through this. Um. Forgive me for my numbers. I'm going to jump some things here. Number four, if I get my numbers mixed up, I'm jumping here. Change Number four, change from a have to to a get to mentality. Change from a have to to a get to mentality. Lost lives don't ask how much it will cost, but how much can I give? They don't ask, oh, but this is going to hurt, and how much will this cost, and what if I, and the difficulties, and the, and the, I don't like this. No, no, no. It's not how much is this going to cost, but how much can I give? I have pondered this thing of surrender, and I think surrender is made too big a deal of in one sense. Surrender is the normal duh of a Christian. You're handing over what is already his and belongs to Him, and He's the best one that can take care of it anyway. Duh! Have to? No. Get to! I know there's wrestles. I know flesh comes up. I, but just ponder that. From the have to to the get to mentality. Um, <clears throat> in light of, for Christ... And the Gospels, there was a little statement, I think uh, I think might have been John Wesley that said it. He said, "Don't seek after ministry. Anticipate the fruit of a disciplined life." You just ponder on that one. Don't seek after ministry. Anticipate the fruit of a disciplined life. And if a disciplined life says, "I get to," and I get to," and I get to," opportunities come. They just will. God is looking for them. Number five: learn to communicate. And especially you young men, learn to communicate. We are communicators of this glorious gospel. And we're supposed to know how to open our mouth, take thoughts, burdens, heart that are here, and transfer them to there. We have to learn how to do that. Whether it's Africa, whether it's brothers meeting, whether it's my children, or whether it's me and you sitting here. We have to know how to communicate. And sometimes there's burdens that burn here. And if I don't know how to transfer them from here to there, it does. it's hard work. Learn. Put forth effort to learn to communicate. As a young man, my mother would come up sometimes to my room and sit down. And times when I had some seasons of seeking the Lord and say, So Mick, what are you thinking? And start asking questions. And one word answers... Doesn't work. The three word answer, I don't know, that didn't pass. Talk. And she drew questions and pulled me out, and I'm thankful for that. Learn to communicate and communicate clearly and properly. Number six, um, step outside your box when there are ministry opportunities. Be willing to step outside of your comfort zone box. Say, okay, I'm going to try. Number seven, study the lives of faithful servants. How did they live? What did they do? How did they walk? Ones that are alive today and ones that were alive in the past, in history. Young people, a life that is lost, a path of losing, the path of joy of losing my life for Christ and the Gospels is not just an exciting thing out there in the future. And I tried to paint that a little bit, but it starts today. Go be a servant, be willing to be under. Don't look at big and little, mop your floors. Learn to pray. Learn to relate and communicate. Take these little everyday things with all your heart, and I believe the earnestness with which you grab all the little things in your life and lose your life to serve and give where God has you now. I don't doubt God is looking for faithful servants. And if you faithfully... I'll be honest, I look across here and there's some of you I don't know. Some of you I do. And I see some faithful servants. Thank you. Keep going. And I just share this as an encouragement. Yes, God, we want to see You pour forth Your Spirit, raise up Your kingdom, whether it's an African village or it's a Vermont rural setting or it's here in the church where God has me here. We want to see Christ and His Gospel presented and we get to be a part of it and He wants us to be a part of it. Faithfully serve with all your heart where God has you with all you have. And do it with joy and excitement. Lost for Christ and the Gospel. Can we just pray? Father, would You help us? Help us, Lord. We want to see the Gospel of Your Kingdom going forth and carrying on. We want to, Lord. And I believe the vast majority of us in this room want that. Would You help us be faithful day by day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the little things that you give us to do. Help us be faithful, Lord, please. Would you bless these dear young people. Lord, I want to see your kingdom established on earth for it to come on earth as it is in heaven in many, many little places around the world. And Lord, I want them to have a vision for that here this morning. But you know, Lord, your pathway to whose service sometimes feels kind of lowly. Help us be faithful, Lord, and grab our mop handles that You hand us with all that we have, and do it for You and for Your Gospel. Amen.